Lord, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, that's who you are. Lord, help us remember that today as we come to your word, that you are the Holy One, the one we can listen to, the one we can worship, the only one that can truly tell us and how we should live. Lord, I pray that as we go to your word and as we continue to worship with one another today, that you would guide us, that you would receive to continue to be with one another and even to partake in communion later on as we remember the death of your son. And so we thank you so much for today and I look forward to what you're going to teach us all. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, welcome back to the book of Ephesians. We've been there for several weeks now. Uh, Last week I was at snow camp and Steve uh, filled in up here and was able to continue preaching through Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we are going to find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Uh, When all this started out, uh, the elders and and I, as we talked, we, we thought we would preach on Ephesians 4, but if you've been with us, you understand that in order to get to four, we had to talk about one through three. We spent two weeks in four, uh, and now, instead of just ending at four, if we really look at this and say, we need to finish this out. So this has been an abbreviated uh, sermon series on Ephesians. It's going to be this week and next week to get to the end of the book. Uh, that's only a, a four-week sermon series for a whole book, which is definitely shorter than normal, and we're not going to be able to mine the depths of Ephesians Uh, the way that maybe you have in the past or the way that we would if we do it again. But to give an overview of this book, we've been looking at a lot of things. And we've been looking at unity primarily. We started talking about that, just the idea of what Christ has done for us and how that unites us together as a body, as a family. And then last week as we come together to be a new a new person, new life in Christ. And so all of those things are going to play into today as we go into chapter 5. And we're going to look at chapter 5 all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. It's a big section. And so we're going to try our best to get through this section to see what God would have for us as it, re, as it revolves around what we've been talking about since the time we began Ephesians. So before we start reading the scripture, and as I was thinking about this sermon this week, there was an illustration that came to my mind that many of you will definitely understand I know I used some sports analogies and then Steve was able to use some music analogies. Um, So hopefully that kind of uh, jived with everyone here. Uh, As we think about what we're going to talk about today, I want to think about the game that we all played as a kid and maybe even as adults, Follow the Leader. Now Follow the Leader was a, uh, like I don't understand why it's fun, right? Because it's just, like I watch kids play it now, I'm like why would you just walk in a line and do whatever, I don't know, I don't get it, I wouldn't want to do it now. But I know as kids, it's, it's super fun to get in a line and one person's the leader and they'll, they'll start walking and you'll follow them and then they'll do something crazy. I don't even know, maybe they'll skip, maybe they'll hop, maybe they'll uh, walk backwards, uh, spin around as they walk. I don't know what they might do, but then the idea of the game was just to follow whatever that leader was doing and, and maybe the leader would switch. And the idea was that by following or copying what the front person was doing, everyone would be doing the same thing. 
Um, now, I don't think there's any real winner or loser here, so that's another reason why I never understood that game. Because um, many of you know I'm competitive. But the idea still is, follow the leader was, it, it's, it's fun for a kid to look at that leader and say, this is what I need to do. Uh, maybe uh, some of you have played Simon Says. The same idea applies there. At least there's a, a winner and a loser in Simon Says. Uh, but it's the same idea. Simon would tell you to do something, and you would follow or copy what they were doing. And if Simon didn't say and you copied the wrong way, you'd be out. So those are some kids' games that we've played. But going back to our sports analogy, as we think about follow the leader, this is kind of what we do throughout our life. If you think about it, like a sports player, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that wants to be on a team and play well, a lot of times that person will be looking up to somebody in sports that has done it before them. Someone who they can look to to say, this is how you play this certain sport. And I'm going to watch them. I'm going to see what they do well. And I'm going to try to copy that. I'm going to try to follow that so I can be the best player I possibly can be. One of the greatest examples of this, many of you were, will remember this, this commercial that came out a long time ago. I'm not exactly sure even how far it was. Uh, but it was the idea when Michael Jordan was in his prime and, and they had a commercial for Gatorade that was the song and the slogan was this, Be Like Mike. And who was the Mike they were talking about? It wasn't Mike Lasnik, although we could probably try to be like him. No, it was Michael Jordan, right? The, what would, some would consider, at least at that point for sure, the greatest of all time when it came to basketball. And now I know there's this debate with LeBron. I don't know. I don't watch basketball. But the point was in this commercial was look at what Mike can do. Look at what Michael Jordan can do. He's, he's dunking. He's playing basketball with people. And if you will just follow his moves and follow the way that he lives, and of course, because it was a Gatorade commercial, follow by drinking Gatorade, then you would become just like Mike. That you would be like Mike. And it was interesting that that was there, but so many athletes do look up to an athlete. Now, the same thing is true if you go to Steve's analogy of music. And I think of music and dancing, you know, performing. Like, I know for me, as, as I grew up, I sang a little bit, but I, I, I had trouble singing if somebody didn't sing it for me first. Like, I, I, I can kind of read music, but if somebody would sit down with me and sing the song, then I could follow with them, and then I could learn to sing that way a lot easier than just reading it for myself. Uh, I think about dancing, that, it's on the top of my head because this week, I told Felicia I would do this, this week, um, Josiah is getting ready for the, the musical, he's going to be a munchkin in the, in the Wizard of Oz down at the school, and one thing that Josiah doesn't do well, and if he hears me say this, I'm sorry, but he gets it from his dad, is he doesn't dance well, and, uh, and neither do I, right? So uh, he comes by it naturally, but Felicia... Uh, was trying to teach him some of the dance moves that he's going to have to do as a munchkin in our living room yesterday. It was quite a fun thing to watch. Um, but the idea was Josiah couldn't really get it. We would tell him how to do it, but then all of a sudden it started to click when he could watch Felicia do the moves and then he could copy what she was doing. And it's interesting that even in performance, we look to somebody who is doing something well to learn how to do it. And the point is this. I use all those illustrations because hopefully one of those will latch on to everybody here. But the idea here is this. The point is, sometimes to be really good at something or to do something well, it takes following or copying someone who does that thing well. Whether it's sports, whether it's singing, whether it's dancing, uh, whether it was playing a childhood game. If you want to do well at something, it means you need to look to somebody who is already doing it well and try to copy what they're doing. This makes sense. This is how our life is lived. This is what we do. And so in, in, with that in our minds as following a leader, following someone who is doing something well, 
following someone and doing what they do and copying them, that's where we're going to find ourselves as we go into Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to review the last few sermons before we read chapter 5, but keep that in mind as we go into this idea of copying or following someone. But so far, we've seen a couple things. Ephesians is a book about unity in Christ. I already mentioned that. He has made us one new body. We saw that in chapters 1 through 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. And then we saw in the second section of chapter 4 that God has placed players and coaches in his body to attain unity, maturity, and growth. That these three things can be ours as a church because God has gifted us to be able to do those things. And then the last thing we looked at last week as Steve was preaching was this. God has replaced our old lives with a new way of living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so those three things, and I know that's just a short nutshell of what we've been talking about, but those three things are going to directly now play into what we get to in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, this is the question that we are seeking to answer today. How do we live this new life in Christ the best way we can? This new life that God has given us, we put away the old. Like we, we, we learned last week that we need to put on the new life and lay aside the old way. And that's simple to say, but how exactly does that work? How exactly do we do that? How do we lay aside what is old and pursue what is new? And so we're going to take some time today to look at Ephesians chapter 5 that answers this question. How is it that we can live the new life in Christ? And the answer is found right away in Ephesians 5.1. So we're going to read 5.1 right now, just the first verse. After Paul unpacks all of this stuff in the rest of Ephesians, chapter 4 talks about living the new life, uh, and then we get here to chapter 5. And it says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now it should be pretty obvious where we're going with this if you think about the illustration Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The answer to our question of how do we live the new life in Christ, it's that we need to imitate God himself. We need to imitate God. Now, we're not going to be exactly like God because we're not perfect. We're still human, but we can imitate him. And this word imitate is the Greek word that would be uh, mimic, to mimic someone. And a lot of times this is used in scripture and in other places really to talk about following. So as we think about follow the leader and mimicking somebody, it's following God, it's mimicking who he is, it's copying who he is, it's imitating to the best of our ability who God is. And it's interesting, there's, a, there's an illustration that's even packed into this verse just in the few words we read. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. It's, it's like... God is our Father, remember this, and so we are beloved children. We are loved by God. We are His children. We're not just a slave, we are His children. And so therefore, as we are children, we look to God and think about it. If you're a parent, or even if you're a child, you understand that a lot of times you, you want to imitate your parents if they're doing things right. Like a young boy would want to be like his father or a young woman would want to be like her mother. And the idea there is as children we should want to imitate God. He is our father just like a child would want to imitate and be like their parent. Why many kids when they come to their kindergarten graduation they'll say what do you want to be when you grow up? A lot of times those kids will say the profession that their, their parent is in. And that's because they want to imitate their father or their mother. And the same idea is true of God. If God is truly our father, which he is, 
because we are loved by him and he has adopted us and we've seen all that in Ephesians already. And since that is true, then we know that we can imitate him out of relationship with him. We want to copy, we want to imitate who he is. And so based on who God is, we must live in a certain way. So in Ephesians 5, 2 through Ephesians 6, 9, we're going to look at what imitating God looks like. And so we understand that we need to imitate God. So we need to know, first of all, who God is, and we also then need to know how we live in light of that. And that's what we're going to do the rest of the time that we are together this morning. So if you will turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and we will start right in chapter 1, or verse 1, and we'll go all the way through 6, 9. Please follow along as we read. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness uh, must be not even named among you, which is proper among, which, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true." And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you should walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And he is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of this body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, 
not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or he is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. It's a long passage, I understand, and, and a lot of times these passages you've seen probably in little pieces. And so we're going to try to get through this section, and we're going to talk about what it, is look, what it looks like to walk or to be like God as much as we can, to imitate God, to copy him, to follow God. And so the first thing we're going to see is in chapter 5, verse 2, and we already read it once, but we'll read it again. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The first thing we see here in Ephesians chapter 5 is that God is love, so we should walk in love. God is love, so we should walk in love. God is something. He is love, and therefore if we are to imitate him, we will love. And I do have some other verses that I'm going to read this morning as we go through Ephesians just to back up these, these ideas as we look at who God is. And we're going to go to 1 John. 1 John 4, 7 through 9. And this also uh, says the same thing that we're seeing here in Ephesians. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is the love that and this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. And so we see here in 1 John chapter 4 that also that God is love and therefore we should love. There's no other way to interpret those verses that we just read. And so we see a couple things about this love here in Ephesians, we see that this love that we're talking about is the self-sacrificing love of Jesus. The self-sacrificing love of Jesus. This is how we should love one another. That we should walk in love. Self-sacrificing love. Now, this is important. You know, I know a lot of... I've heard people say this before, uh, that a lot of times I will talk a lot about love. And it is true because I think the, the Bible, it talks a lot about love, loving one another, loving God. And, and it's important that we have love in our lives. And that is what our calling is as Christians, is really to love God and love others. And we know that to be true through Scripture. But I want to make a point here. I'm not just talking about the warm, ooey-gooey love, like, oh, let's just walk around and hug each other and, and have a, a, just a, a, a good time loving one another. Okay, that, there's that feeling that's there. Sure, that's part of it. But more what the Bible is talking about is self-sacrificing love. Love that says, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to do things for you. I'm going to show you love even in the times that I don't want to. Even in the times that it is inconvenient. And even in the times when it hurts. And I would say this. Not only do we love even when it hurts. We love especially when it hurts. You see, I think a lot of us don't truly understand what love is. It's not just about a warm hug. Love is about putting ourselves behind someone else, even when it makes it so that our life is not as easy as we want it to be. And I think if all of us take some time to think about it, there are areas in our life in which we fail to love in this way. 
where our selfish desires, our selfish life, the, the things that we want so desperately, whether it's security, safety, comfort, whatever it might be, we so many times will choose those things that make us comfortable as opposed to sacrificing ourselves for the good of others. And that is the love we're talking about. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, First John said the same thing. How do we know love? Well, love is seen in the fact that Christ sacrificed himself. And if we, we know this from the gospel, that Jesus gave, came down from heaven, gave up his, his heaven to come down to be a man among us, to give his life for us so that we could be saved from our sin that we've committed. He did this for us, the greatest form of love and humility that will ever be seen. And we are called to imitate that. So we need to really consider, where is it that we can love in a way that truly means sacrificing our selfishness? And so we see that that is the self-sacrificing love of Jesus. And then in 1 John, what we saw is this. We can't really know God if we don't love others. Reflecting God's love is not optional. It's not like, okay, you can know God and then you can decide whether you want to love or not. No, what the Bible says is that if we truly know God, then we will love one another. There's no option here. Because it, it only makes sense. If God is love, then we have to love if we truly know him. Because if we don't love in the way of self-sacrifice, if we are not marked by that kind of love, not in perfection, but as we look at our lives, as as our life marked by self-sacrificing love, if that's not true, then we might want to really consider whether we really know God. Because if love is not in our life, then how can we know the one who is love? And that's what 1 John says. And so the first thing we see here is if we want to imitate God, we will love one another because he is love. The next thing we're going to look at as we go back to the book of Ephesians, uh, we're going to be in 5 verses 3 through 6. God is holy, so we should walk in holiness. Verses 3 through 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you were made sure of this, That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Alright, so we see that God is holy and we should walk in holiness. Where do we see this? Well, we see this in the word saints. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. The word saint here really means holy ones, set apart ones. If you know what holy means, it means to be set apart. And so anytime you see the word saint in scripture, it's about those who have been set apart to God. Not in this special way, like I know other other beliefs would say that there are special people that are saints and the rest aren't. No, everyone who knows Jesus, who is set apart because of him, is a saint. And so we see some things here about what it looks like to be a saint, to be set apart. And we also see the same thing in 1 Peter. So I want to turn there before we make our points about this passage. But in 1 Peter, you can't see it any more clearer than here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. It says, As obedient children... There's that children idea again. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, 
you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This passage is an interesting passage. I mean, we can't get around it. We are called to live in holiness. Now, we're not going to be perfect like God, but we can live a life that is set apart, a life that is different. And how is that? What are the things that are different? Well, we see that back in Ephesians. We will flee from sexual immorality and from impurity and from covetousness or being greedy. Those shouldn't even be named among us. Those should be things that we shouldn't even have anything to do with. The sinful impulses of the world shouldn't be seen in our lives. We should be set apart. If we are to follow God, if we are to imitate God, we will be different. We will be set apart. We will put away the old sinful impulses that we've had before Christ. Those old passions, as Peter would say. We will set those aside. We will stop living in those things and instead they won't even be named among us. It won't even be part of who we are. Nobody will be able to say that this is what we do. Then it says in verse 4, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Sexual sin, greed, those things we talk about, those things are, those are what the world does. Sexual sin and greed and trying to get whatever we can for ourselves. But here's the other thing we see in, in verse 4. It's even talk of these things. That if we're to be set apart, we won't engage in sexual sin or greediness but we also won't engage in talking about these things where we'll be somehow entertained or celebrating or condoning these things. Now I know this can be something that's very convicting for me. It's so easy to start talking in ways that we shouldn't talk. And we can say, well, I'm not doing those things even if I'm talking in a way I shouldn't or if I'm joking about those things that I shouldn't. The Bible is very clear. It's not only about what you do, it's what you talk about. And remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know that to be true from Scripture as well. And so as we know that, the idea here is simple. That not only is it about our actions, but it's about our speech. It's about everything and every, everything we are. And so we need to be away from this stuff, set apart from these things. And so people will hear instead of those things that the world is talking about, they will hear thanksgiving to God. And that is what we are called to do. That's how we can be set apart. And in, in 1 Peter, we saw that we need to be obedient children. So we see that also obedience is, to God is key in our lives. Obedience is key. That is how we are set apart. We obey what God says instead of obey what the world says. And if we don't obey what God says, and instead we are obeying the world, what it says here in Ephesians is very simple. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. And so here, the opposite of being an obedient child is to be a son of disobedience. And they will have no part in the kingdom of God. They will have no part in that. We see that to be true. And we should have even nothing, we shouldn't be partners with them. We should not be sons of disobedience and we should not be partners with those who are. Instead, we need to be obeying Christ, living for him and being set apart together as the church. And so God is holy and we should walk in holiness. Now the next thing is in verses 7 through 14. We already started reading it. But since God is light, we should walk in light. Since God is light, we should walk in light. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 
and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And we're also going to go over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, where we see that indeed God is light, and therefore we need to walk in light as well. John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's no question here that God is light, and we are called to live as light. Well, how do we live as light. Well, I think we see here in Ephesians that the fruit of light is found and is all good and right and true, that we will be seen to be glorifying God. See, walking in light reflects who God is. Walking in light reflects who God is. Instead of darkness, instead of the deeds of the darkness, instead we are light in the Lord. We are light in the Lord. We're not living light in of ourselves, but we are living the light of Christ. Many of you have probably memorized or know Matthew 5.16. You know, Let your light so shine that they may glorify your Father in heaven. That's the idea here, is that if our light is shining, it will reflect on God, that God will be seen. Our actions give God glory. But walking in light not only reflects who God is, walking in light also exposes sin. We see this in Ephesians 5. It says, for it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. In verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Walking in light is not just staying away from the darkness, but walking in light is also casting light upon the darkness so that it will be seen, so that sin will be seen, so that we'll be able to dispel the darkness. That's the point of being light. It's giving God glory and it's reflecting who he is, but it's also exposing sin. In other words, we can't just blend in and say, you know what, I'm just going to live my own way over here and I'm going to have my little light and I'm going to live all the way away from the darkness. No, that's not what we're called to do. What we see here, if we're going to be the light like God is the light, we're going to expose the world. We're going to expose sin and we're going to stand against it and we're going to show where it's wrong. We're not just going to ignore it. We're not just going to condone it. But instead, we are going to shine light upon it. We will bring Christ to the world around us. We will share that light. And it will expose the sin of the world and their need for a Savior. And so, just as we were brought from the dead to life here, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God, Christ has given us new life so we can shine. So that we can not only reflect Him, but also expose the sin around us. And so, so far, God is love, God is holy, God is light, so we should live in love, holiness, and light. And now, finally, in verses 15 through 17, we see that God is wisdom, so we should walk in wisdom. The walking in wisdom thing is very clear here as we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we're going to continue on in just a second in this point, but I want to stop there at verse 17 real quickly. So God is wisdom, and we should walk in wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Who is God? In this case, we know that God is Jesus. Jesus is God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, this is what we read. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that is as it is written, let, not, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Christ is literally our wisdom. He is wisdom. Wisdom is not necessarily a thing to attain, but it's a person to hold on to. And Christ and his word is where we find true wisdom. So true wisdom is only found in Christ. Knowing Jesus and his word is the only way to truly be wise. And so if we want to walk in wisdom because God is wisdom, we need to first of all come to Christ and we need to look to him for wisdom and not the world, not our own mind, but look to him and his word. That much is seen here. But then we also see here in verse 17 that true wisdom follows the will of God in the midst of evil follows the will of God in the midst of evil. Where do we see that? Well, as we read, this is what we see in in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to make the best use of the time in, in verse 16 because the days are evil. So how do we make the best use of our time? It's to not be foolish, but it's to understand what God's will is. The will of the true wisdom is following the will of God in the midst of evil. And the will of God is this, as we continue to read, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is the will of God? How do we walk in wisdom How do we walk in wisdom so we reflect God who is our wisdom? Well, the will of God is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The word in many of our translations here is filled. Be filled with the Spirit. This makes it sound like uh, we can just fill an empty... This is not the idea of this word. Be filled means to be controlled. To be so filled that nothing else can find its way in. To be completely filled and completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now this goes back to where we started in chapter, in, in verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God. We cannot imitate God if he doesn't give us the power to do it. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the power to imitate him. We see that here, that the Holy Spirit, we need to be controlled, filled, controlled by him. That is the will of God, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, not to be controlled by our selfish desires, not to be controlled by the world, not to be controlled by Satan, but to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That is the will of God. And so if we want to be wise, we will walk in the Spirit. We will be controlled by the Spirit. Well, what does the control of the Spirit look like? Well, Paul gives us some ideas here. It says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I don't believe this verse is primarily just about the idea of singing. But as we look at it, it's about singing with one another. 
You see, being controlled by the Holy Spirit includes unity and praise with others. That we come together in fellowship, in unity to praise God. That's what we see in this passage. If the Holy Spirit is controlling our lives, then instead of living selfish life, instead we will come together and we will praise with one another. We also see that it includes being thankful for all things. Being thankful for all things. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. And here's the simple truth. Our life should be marked by thanksgiving. Ungratefulness leads to all sorts of sinful attitudes and actions. Do we agree with that? When we get discontent with our lives, when we start feeling slighted, when we start feeling we're not getting what we deserve, when we stop being thankful for the blessings that God has given us and instead focus on the hardships of life, when we focus on what the world says we should focus on and we should try to fix it in our own strength, all of those things lead to sin. Our attitude becomes sinful and that usually follows with actions that are sinful. And so if we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, if we are to be copying God, if we are to be imitating Him, it's going to be thankful for what He has given, thankful for who He is, thankful for what He has done. And then, the other, when, since ungratefulness leads to the sinful attitudes and actions, gratefulness will lead towards godly attitudes and actions. And so we see thankfulness is important. And finally, here in verse 21... Part of being controlled by the Holy Spirit is to submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We already talked about this, the first sermon we talked about, this idea of submitting. This includes submitting to others. What does submit mean? Well, it literally means this, putting oneself under continually. When you take the tense and the meaning of this Greek word, it means to put oneself under continually. This isn't a one-time thing. This is something that we continually do as we submit to one another and we put ourselves second. We say, look, I'm going to make God the, I'm going to make God the most important then I'm going to look to others and then, then, my, then I can worry about myself. But I am going to put myself under others. This is humility. This is humility. This is what we're talking about. To make most of Christ, much of others, and least of me. That is what humility and submission is all about. And the rest of what we read from wives and husbands and children and parents and bondservants and masters, a lot of times we isolate those passages and we talk about what it means to be a good husband, what it means to be a good wife, what it means to be a good child, what it means to be a good parent, what it means to be a good worker, and what it means to be a good boss or or master. And those things we can definitely see. And we already did that when we looked at Colossians not too long ago. And so we've looked at those type of things, but the main idea, because of time and because of the amount of scripture we read, these verses are directly after verse 21. And these are examples of what it looks like to submit to one another. That even in our closest relationships, there will be mutual submission in the sense that a a wife will submit and have respect for her husband, and a husband will love his wife. A child will obey their parents while a parent will will love his children and nurture his children or her children. That a bondservant will work well and a, and a, a master will treat his worker well. And it's, it's this idea that we are in relationship together which we humble ourselves and we submit to one another. But let's not forget the, the core of the submission. In each of these relationships... 
Paul always points back to Christ. The reason that a wife submits to her husband is because of Christ. The reason that a husband loves his wife is because of Christ. The reason that a child obeys his parents is because of Christ. The reason a parent uh, parents nurtures his child is because of Christ. The reason a bondservant serves well is because of Christ. And the reason that a master treats his servants well is because of Christ. That is what we see here. And Christ is the subject, and these are simply examples to show us what submission to Christ and submission to one another truly looks like. And so that's where we find ourselves so far. I want to say one more thing about this idea of being controlled with the Spirit. You know, last week, as Steve was, was, was talking and preaching here, he talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, about grieving the Holy Spirit, making him sorrowful by living in a way that would make him sorrowful. And remember in verse 31 of chapter 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Those are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Now many of you know the list in Galatians 5 of the fruit of the Spirit. And we've been studying that in ABF. And the thing is that fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 And let's just go there for those of you who aren't remembering all of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. And we look at the fruit. And here's what we say, or here's what we see in verse 22 of chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against these things there is no law. Now go over to Ephesians. What is the opposite of that in chapter 4, verse 31? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. These things are the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. And so if we are controlled by the Spirit, we will be controlled by love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, etc., etc., etc. We will be controlled by those things. It's all about love. It's all about selflessness. It's all about putting one another first. Being controlled by the Spirit is not some mystical, weird experience that we have, but being controlled by the Spirit is a continual decision to live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can love one another and live lives that are selfless and loving. That we will submit to one another, we will be thankful, and we will have unity and praise with one another. That is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so as we continue through Ephesians, we have one more sermon to look at as we look at the armor of God. Many of us know that passage really, really well, and next week we'll look at it and see what it can, what it can do for us as we live in this life, this new life that Christ has given us. But before we do that, these are some questions we need to ask ourselves about what we looked at today. First of all, have you been given new life by Christ? Has Christ truly come into your life and made you new? Or are you still living in the old way of life? You see, we all, we all have sinned. We know that to be true from Scripture. We all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, separation from God forever. And yet Jesus came to die for us on the cross 
to rise again, to say, I'm going to take the punishment for their sin so that they can have a relationship with me and I can give them new life. He rose again to show that this new life, he, could, he has the power to give because if he can resurrect even physical life, he can resurrect spiritual life as well. And Christ can give us new life if we'll only come to him and ask him to make us new. Ask him to save us. Ask him to forgive us. Believe in everything he is and everything he said and to commit our lives to him. And if you have not done that, you, you need to do that. You will experience new life that I can't even explain until you come to him and experience that. And then you can be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Love and submission and thankfulness can be part of your life. A couple other questions for all of us here. Where have you or I not reflected who God is in our actions? Where have we not reflected who God is in our actions? We looked at just four things. Love, holiness, light, and wisdom. Are we reflecting God the way we should in these ways? If we want to live the new life, it's going to mean copying Him. It's going to mean loving, being set apart, being light to the world around us, and having wisdom by being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So where have you not reflected who God is in your actions? And as we come to what that might be, we need to repent of that and we need to change and we need to seek the Holy Spirit who will give us the power to do those things. And finally, what are you being controlled by? In other words, what leader do you follow? And we talked, started talking about follow the leader, copying that person in the front. We need to be following God. He is our leader. And we need to be controlled by Him, not controlled by ourselves, not controlled by this world, not controlled by Satan or any of his power, but to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, to be controlled by God himself. And that's what we are called to do if we are to live the new life that Christ has given us. So now in a few minutes, we're going to have the opportunity to go to communion. And you say, well, how does communion relate to what we've talked about? Well, I think it's pretty simple. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and what? Gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The very motivation that we should have to be controlled by God and to be living a life of the new life that he has given us is based on the fact that Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us and was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So, as we go into this time of, of communion, if I would ask the, the men that I've asked to come forward to help serve, this is where we find ourselves remembering why we even come to this. This is not just a tradition, this is not just a ceremony, although there are some definite things within communion in which they have the feel of those things but it's really all about christ it's all about what he's done who he is how he has redeemed us how he has given us new life everything we've talked about in ephesians we can remember as we take the bread and the 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 juice as we remember christ's body and blood that was given for us so that we could be forgiven so that we could walk in new life so that we could be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Because his death made it possible for the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and we just need to give him control. 
And that is what we are called to do as we come to communion. But let's communion.